You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you as always from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 11th day of July, 2010. I'd like to welcome all of the listeners and invite them all, as always, to look into the websites CorbettReport.com, AlQaedaDoesn'tExist.com, ReportageBook.com, and ClimateGate.tv, as well as those sites that help support and broadcast this podcast, as well as other works by the Corbett Report including tv.globalresearch.ca, mediamonarchy.com, tragedyandhope.com, radioforall.net, archive.org, and zeropointradio.com. And for those listeners who do support the Zero Point Radio website, you might be interested to note that Zero Point Radio is now in great financial distress and could close in the very near future if it does not receive monetary support. You can donate to Zero Point Radio through PayPal, and I'll include a link to the donate button on the documentation list for today's episode. So please consider going there and supporting Zero Point Radio if you find their services useful. Also this week, I'd like to very much heartily thank all of those listeners who responded to last week's request to email Max Kaiser to get him on the program. I would say that that experiment was a raging success, as less than 24 hours after that podcast went out, Max Kaiser was emailing me to to schedule a time for that interview, which we then conducted last Wednesday, and the video of that will be going up this week on the Corbett Report homepage and, of course, youtube.com slash Corbett Report. So once again, thank you very much to all of those listeners who took the time to email Max Kaiser. And again, it was very successful. So once the video comes out, I would very much appreciate if at least some of the listeners would take the time to either email Max to thank him for coming on the program or to leave a comment on his page thanking him for doing that. Again, it's always nice to leave a kind and complimentary message as a way of uh, thanking the guest for being on the program. So once again, thank you to all of those who participated in this. And it's something that I don't want to use too often as I, of course, don't want to harass people into coming on the program. But why don't we keep this up our sleeves for future guests uh, as and when the need arises to use this tactic. Once again, thank you to everyone who continues to support the Corbett Report in all the various ways that you do. Without you, this report would not be what it is. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's Sunday update. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and this is your Sunday update for this 11th day of July 2010. 
And now for the real news. In our top story this week, internet advocates are scoring key victories in the fight to prevent censorship and monitoring of the web as governments around the world attempt to clamp down on open access to information. In the latest victory against web censorship, intense criticism has forced Australian Communications Minister Senator Stephen Conroy to announce that the Australian government will postpone implementation of Australia's internet filtering proposal for another year. There's been plenty of opposition to the government's plan to filter the internet, and today the Communications Minister moved to delay the controversial policy for another year. Senator Conroy says that more time is needed to review what material should be included in the refused classification rating and what websites will be banned. The aim of this review will be to examine the current scope of the existing RC classification and in particular whether it adequately reflects current community standards. Another positive development came this week when a group of officials from some of the world's leading IT companies penned a letter to the U.S. Senate to express their disapproval of Senator Lieberman's cybersecurity bill that would give the President of the United States a kill switch over the Internet. The letter, addressed to Senators Lieberman, Collins and Carper, was signed off by officials from Cisco, IBM and Oracle. It critiques specific sections of the proposed government internet takeover bill, including Section 242, which creates a new Homeland Security Department with continuous situational awareness of private networks. According to the letter, quote, there is no existing authority for the federal government to have continuous situational awareness of the security status of private networks, and this would be impossible to achieve without the deployment of government monitoring devices on private networks, which would also provide access to private, personal, and commercial data on those networks." End quote. The Lieberman Internet Kill Switch bill drew the attention and the ire of concerned citizens around the world when Senator Lieberman admitted on CNN that the bill's intention is to mimic Chinese-style totalitarian internet censorship. This is a matter of national security. A cyber attack on America can do as much or more damage today by incapacitating our banks, our our, our communications, our, our, our finance, uh, our, our transportation as a conventional war attack. And the president, in, in catastrophic cases, not going to do it every day, not going to take it over. So I, I say to my friends on the Internet, relax, take a look at the bill. And, and this is something that we need to protect our country. Right now, China, the government, can disconnect parts of its Internet in the case of war. We need to have that here, too. On a related front, a group of international experts convened at the American University Washington College of Law last month to debate a proposed global copyright treaty known as the Anti-Counterfeiting Trade Agreement, or ACTA. Many have been concerned about this developing global treaty, as it would give sweeping new powers to a global governing body to oversee intellectual property law and threaten fundamental rights and freedoms that many citizens in countries like the US today take for granted. The Independent Review Panel released a startling statement last month on the dangers of the ACTA Treaty, surprising many with its strongly worded rebuke of the entire treaty process. In their statement, they note the misinformation that proponents of ACTA have used to promote the agreement as a benign and beneficial treaty. The statement reads in part, quote, Negotiators claim ACTA will not interfere with citizens' fundamental rights and liberties. It will. They claim ACTA is consistent with the WTO agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights. It is not. 
They claim ACTA will not increase border searches or interfere with cross-border transit of legitimate generic medicines. It will. And they claim that ACTA does not require graduated response disconnections of people from the internet. However, the agreement strongly encourages such pol policies. End quote. Despite the worrying nature of the treaty and the widespread criticism of it from academics, lawyers, and others, there's been little attention paid to this issue in the establishment media. In other news, LeBron James is moving to Florida to play for the Miami Heat, and that fact will not affect your life in any way. Finally this week, Israel's army radio is reporting that the United States has offered Israel communication with a promise of open nuclear cooperation between the two countries. The report, if verified, will be the boldest move yet to formalize the nuclear state of Israel, a country that has possessed hundreds of nuclear weapons for decades, but has never publicly admitted to possessing these weapons because it refuses to sign the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. News of the U.S. offer of nuclear cooperation between the two countries comes on the heels of fresh calls by the International Atomic Energy Agency for Israel to admit its nuclear stockpile and join the Non-Proliferation Treaty. At a meeting of the International Atomic Energy Agency, Arab nations urged Israel on Thursday to join the Global Non-Proliferation Treaty and repeated their calls for a nuclear-free Middle East. Israel is the only country in the Middle East with a stockpile of nuclear weapons, but the country has never confirmed nor denied it has nuclear weapons. By shunning the 40-year-old Non-Proliferation Treaty, Israel has not had to reject atomic arms or allow the IAEA to probe all of its nuclear sites. Thursday's meeting marked the first time the IAEA's policymaking board tackled the topic of Israel's nuclear arsenal since 1991. Not surprisingly, the American ambassador to the IAEA used the occasion to defend Israel, a nation with hundreds of nuclear weapons that are not open to inspection and not subject to any treaty, and vilify Iran, a country with no nuclear weapons that has allowed IAEA inspectors into its nuclear facilities and is a signatory. To the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Has broken no agreements nor failed to fulfill obligations to the agency. Discussion of this item uh, distracts our collective attention from other pressing matters before the board. Premier among those uh, is Iran, which stands in violation of the NPT, uh, and IAEA safeguards obligations and of resolutions of the IAEA Board of Governors uh, and the UN Security Council. Now stay tuned to CorbettReport.com for episode 137 of the Corbett Report, Signs, Symbols, and Sigils, where we talk to Freeman Fly of FreemanTV.com about the symbolism of the occult-obsessed elite. Welcome to episode 137 of the Corbett Report, Signs, Symbols, and Sigils. It is a self-evident truth that every day we are exposed to hundreds upon hundreds of symbols, if only the corporate logos which have come to so dominate our everyday landscapes that we probably don't even notice them anymore. But it's nonetheless true that these symbols are important for some, and important in ways that perhaps we don't even understand. A symbol, of course, is uh, some sort of representation that represents something else, something that's not seen or fully realized. It stands in for that thing. 
And sometimes secrets can be hidden inside of symbols, secrets that certain people know how to read and others don't. This again is a very basic and self-evident fact that sometimes is made quite apparent to us, and in, on those occasions we generally find them interesting but not that important to our everyday lives. And an example that makes that rather vague idea a very certain reality comes just this week, actually, from a Yahoo News item, the secret code in U.S. Cyber Command's logo. Quote, The newly formed U.S. Cyber Command is supposed to centralize and focus the military's ability to wage war over the internet, but so far it's basically famous for brain teasers. The command's fancy logo contains a super-secret code in its inner gold ring. 9EC4C12949A4F31474F299058CE2B22A. Though some people noticed the code late last month, Wired's Danger Room blog picked it up Wednesday morning and announced a contest with a free t-shirt or a ticket to the International Spy Museum going to the first reader to crack the code. Trouble is, no one knows for sure yet precisely what the 32-character code means, or at least no one at Cyber Command appears to know. Lieutenant Commander Steve Curry, a spokesman, says it's definitely the mission statement of Cyber Command. What part of the mission statement? That's what I'm waiting to find out from the people who designed it. Indeed, the heraldry notes accompanying the logo, i.e. explanations of what the symbols mean, say it contains a computer code that ties the command back to the early days of computer networking. U.S. Cybercom's mission statement is encrypted within this code. Curry suspects that the designers used a cryptographic algorithm called an MD5 hash to transform the mission statement into the string of characters, but he doesn't know whether they took choice bits of the whole statement, which reads, U.S. Cybercom plans, coordinates, integrates, synchronizes, and conducts activities to direct the operations and defense of spe specified Department of Defense information networks and prepare to, and when directed, conduct full-spectrum military cyberspace operations in order to enable actions in all domains, ensure U.S. allied freedom of action in cyberspace, and deny the same to our adversaries. End quote. So basically, this is an interesting little story about that secret part of the U.S. Cyber Command logo that you can see if you really blow up the logo very large and you can read the 32 characters for yourself and go and attempt to decode them. And it's all like some spy master game with uh, some secret toy spy ring decoder or something like that that people can obsess about and hopefully win that free t-shirt but uh, ultimately, of course, this code and what part of the U.S. Cybercom mission statement it refers to is of no real significance. It's just one of those little things that gets reported on and made a big deal out of, but is not really that important to anyone. And, but it is a, a very good example of how secrets can be encoded into otherwise seemingly benign symbols. Secrets that can only be read and decoded by certain people. And it's interesting to note that even the head of U.S. Cyber Command and senior officers don't know what this code refers to. Only the people who designed it know. And that's an important point of the, that puzzle to keep in mind for later on when we start exploring certain other symbols of greater significance. But uh, let's take a look at another example from a story that was 
very current uh, a couple of years ago, uh, back in October of 2008, when we had the story of the skinheads from Tennessee who planned to assassinate Barack Obama by dressing up in white tuxedos and going on a killing rampage across the United States. A bizarre story, but it contained a very interesting little twist. And we can read more about that from Slate.com from October 29, 2008. White Supremacists by the Numbers. Quote, Law enforcement officials in Tennessee have arrested two white supremacists who planned to assassinate Barack Obama, the New York Times reported Monday. The skinheads had a scheme to attack the presidential candidates while wearing white tuxedos and top hats. They also intended to murder 88 people and behead 14 African-American children, numbers that have special significance in the white power movement, according to the Times. What's the deal with these skinhead numbers and fashion choices? 88 and 14. As the Times article explained, the number 88 represents the phrase Hail Hitler because H is the eighth letter in the alphabet. White supremacists are also fond of the number 18 to represent the initials AH. Other tight-knit groups use a similar code. The Hells Angels, for example, are attached to the number 81. The late David Lane, a member of the Ku Klux Klan and co-founder of a white power revolutionary group, detailed his philosophy in an article called 88 Precepts. Precept number 11, beware of verbose doctrines. The number 14 refers to a 14-word mission statement he wrote while propagandizing from federal prison. We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Magic numbers abound among white supremacists. The digits 420 celebrate Hitler's birthday, and the number 5 represents resistance to law enforcement in the form of this five-word response to interrogation. I have nothing to say. The number 311 refers to the Ku Klux Klan because K is the 11th letter repeated three times. So does 33-6, that's three times 11, with the number 6 standing for the current period of the Klan's history, which the group has divided into six eras. End quote. Again, a very bizarre and arcane system that probably most people, including myself, had never heard of before this story broke in the news, but one that, again, it's very interesting to note that certain numbers that seem innocuous to you or I could have very important meanings to others, and they could flaunt these numbers in front of you without you really knowing about their significance. Again, it's just a type of secret code that people can use to indicate that they're in the same group or even to communicate with each other, even in full public view, without the public actually knowing what they're talking about. And perhaps it should come as no surprise to anyone who's really done any research into history to find that neo-Nazis are obsessed with magical numbers because, of course, the Nazis were obsessed with the occult, a fact that was always known but has only really been explored in, recent, in more recent decades. And there has been a number of excellent books and documentaries on the subject and some of the little tidbits that have come to light include Heinrich Himmler's belief that he was the reincarnation of Heinrich I of Germany, or the Nazis' penchant for using pendulum dousing over maps of the Atlantic to find, to try to locate Allied convoys, and other really bizarre things. And probably the most 
obvious and most well-known examples of the bizarre occultic symbols employed by the Nazis include, of course, the Nazi perversion of the ancient religious symbol of the swastika, and also the bizarre, bizarre rite of the blood flag, whereby each new Nazi flag had to be consecrated by Hitler himself, touching the new flag to the blood flag, or the flag that was being carried during the Munich Hall the Munich Beer Hall Putsch back in the 1920s, the unsuccessful putsch, which was the first attempt by the Nazis to take control of Germany and ended with several of their members being shot, and the bloodied flag from that incident thereby became the blood flag. Other bizarre occultic things abound in the history of the Nazis, and when you start to look into it, you find that it is not by any means a, simply an inconsequential or strange little fact in Nazi history. In fact, it goes absolutely to the roots of what the Nazis were about and what they considered themselves to be, and they took this symbolism very, very seriously. And, oh, by the way, yes, they did employ an ancient magical alphabet. While Himmler suppressed certain occultists, he also advanced the careers of others, such as Karl Maria Willigut. In Willigut, Himmler believed he'd found the key to popularizing the ancient pagan tradition in modern Germany. The mystic became a high-ranking SS officer and one of Himmler's prized possessions. Well, the interesting thing about Willigut is that he is really perhaps the leading example of an occultist in the immediate circle and service of Reichsführer SS Heinrich Himmler. Willigut believed he was a direct descendant of the Norse god Thor. Copies of his papers, found in Himmler's personal file, reveal that Willigut believed he possessed extrasensory powers. One document entitled The Nine Commandments of God was signed by Willigut and initialed by Himmler. Written in both modern German and the runic alphabet, it suggests that Willigut thought he was using his powers to rediscover the ancient rites and rituals of Germany's pagan past. According to Nordic legend, the runic alphabet used by Willigut was given to mankind by Odin, the supreme god in Norse mythology. This sacred alphabet was his gift to mankind. The runes were derived from, probably from, um, a mixture of ancient signs that are carved on stone in, in pre-literate times. And these alphabets actually have meanings. Each letter has a meaning. The Hagal rune, protection of the bearer against his enemies. The Odal rune, one's connection to the clan or tribe. The Tyr rune, victory and world order. The Sig rune, the sun or conquering energy. These symbols appeared throughout the Nordic world on such objects as Viking ships, battle spears and shields. The alphabet of ancient priests and magicians, runes were believed to be mystical tools for fortune-telling 
casting spells and invoking magical spirits. You cast the runes, somewhat analogous to a tarot layout. You, you, you throw them and then you read the, the particular combinations of runes that, that arise. It has got the reputation of being uh, an extraordinarily powerful magical system. As Germany's warrior elite, members of the SS were taught the meaning of the runes. A photograph that survived the war shows an SS officer at a blackboard teaching the runes to a class of SS recruits. Many organizations within the Third Reich had their own special rune. The SS, perhaps the best known, of course, used the double sig rune. These mysterious figures were worn on the shoulders and helmets of all SS uniforms. The Hitler Youth used a single SIG rune. These ancient mystical symbols were seemingly everywhere. serving as a constant reminder to Germans of their pagan past. After the um, SS recruit had passed his training and taken the oath, if he was an officer, he was then given the SS dagger, which was a, a sort of hunting knife with a black handle, the SS runes on it, the swastika and a wreath, and the German eagle. And this was a, you know, a very prized possession. Engraved into the dagger were the words, My honor is called trust. SS men received the dagger in a solemn ceremony. Every member of the SS wore the SS signet ring. But for his inner circle, the elite of the elite, Himmler personally handed out the death's head ring. A former high-ranking SS officer, Wilhelm Hertel, still remembers the ceremonious occasion. The ring was engraved with your name, mine for example, to my dear Hertel, Heinrich Himmler. That was inside the ring, around a death head. That was supposed to symbolize the close connection to the SS and to Himmler. In a speech given to SS officers stationed at Dachau, Himmler stated, Never forget, we are a knightly order, from which one cannot withdraw, to which one is recruited by blood, and within which one remains body and soul. Ah, yes, the Nazi death head emblem, that uh, skull and crossbones variant, which... Uh, the governator himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, tends to wear on his belt buckle um, and has been photographed on several occasions now wearing, and that comes after the fact that we already knew that, for example, Arnold Schwarzenegger's father was a ranking member of the S Nazi SA, that Schwarzenegger in the 1970s used to like to play and hand out speeches of Hitler, that you know, he said on camera that he admired Hitler, that he uh, talked about dreaming of being a dictator, that uh, he was an open admirer of Kurt Waldheim, who had been accused of war crimes and atrocities committed in the name of the Nazis during World War II, etc., etc., etc. But apparently none of that really matters because it's just insane conspiracy theory to talk about this. But anyway, 
Um, yes, the death's head, of course, being an important Nazi symbol, and also the runes. And for those who want to be the John Ronsons of the world and desperately try not to look behind the curtains when it's quite obvious that something's going on behind the curtains, no, this is not just something that's confined to the Nazis of the 1930s and 40s. This is something that's still very, very much prevalent in our society and was long before the Nazis and continues to be even now. And an example of that might be a research into the Sigrun, that lightning bolt symbol, which of course the double Sigrun was the SS Nazi uh, symbol. And yes, the double Sigrun is making a comeback. Actually, very recently, just a few years ago here in Japan, I noticed that one of the telephone, uh, the cell phone companies here, AU, had a mobile phone for runners called Smart Sports, which had the double Sigrun as their uh, symbol. And it's uh, quite blatant and quite quite disgusting, and it's something that I picked up on immediately, but uh, many other people around me didn't seem to. And uh, the Sigrun continues to be used in all sorts of contexts, from logos and patches employed by things like uh, U.S. strategic uh, operations, and the AT&T Golden Boy, and the doors of the Bank of England, and uh, various comic book characters, and uh, Harry Potter's insignia, and all sorts of things like that. And you can explore all of those symbols on a very interesting thread from the Prison Planet forum called Are You Sick of Sig Runes? which has really hundreds of examples of the Sig Rune and the way that it's employed. And uh, it, it's very fascinating to, to take a look at. Definitely one of those symbols to keep your eye out for and to know that there is at least a, a deeper meaning. Uh, behind it, as are there are so many of these symbols that, again, at first glance, most people will not even notice them. But once you start to become aware of them, you'll notice not only how they're employed, but where and when. And you'll start to realize that this world really is made up of symbols, and many of which you would never have even known existed until you start encountering this information for yourself. Well, Let's start digging into this information by taking a look at a symbol that will be familiar, I'm sure, to all of the listeners out there by now, and one that has become quite common knowledge that it contains esoteric symbolic meaning, but one that uh, still nevertheless is often taken as just a mundane symbol of the United States, and that, of course, is the Great Seal of the United States, which can be seen on every single dollar bill since 1935. And for those who may not be familiar with the Great Seal, yes, it contains two sides, the obverse and the reverse. And on the obverse, there is an eagle, or what we're told is an eagle, clutching 13 arrows in its left talon and an olive branch in its right talon. We also see 13 stars above the eagle arranged in 14341 pattern, forming a six-pointed star. And on the reverse of the Great Seal is, of course, the all-seeing eye of Horus capping the uncapped pyramid. What an appropriate symbol for the American colonies, isn't it? No, of course, it has absolutely nothing to do with anything from the, the context of the American colonies or the, um, the burgeoning United States when this seal was created. So why on earth was this symbol popping up at that time in that way? And why was the reverse of the Great Seal basically known to almost no one? It was not it was not made into a stamp. It was not made into any, any official use. It was just something that was put on the back of the actual official insignia of the United States. And most people didn't know about it or had never even seen it until it appeared on the $1 bill. So and just another bizarre uh, ha uh, little tidbit to keep in mind about the Great Seal. Well, yes, the... 
eye of Horus capping the pyramid is one of those symbols that I'm sure everyone by now knows is part of the New World Order uh, symbolic lexicon and one that we see more and more. So to begin exploring this extremely interesting symbol and its occult significance, I'd like to turn to an excellent, excellent documentary called Eye of the Phoenix, Secrets of the Dollar Bill. And really, words can't describe how bizarre and interesting this tale is. And it goes into very interesting and shady figures like Nicholas Rorick and... Uh, it, it goes right to the heart of the halls of power in the United States, not only hundreds of years ago, but even in the last century, and how FDR came to approve the putting of the Great Seal on the $1 bill and what that might possibly mean, and it goes into the Stone of Destiny and other things that are extremely interesting. So once again, I highly, highly recommend this uh, documentary, and of course I'll put the link to this documentary in the documentation section for today's episode. So please check that out in its entirety. But right now, let's just listen to a short clip explaining a little bit about the seal and its significance. In the late 19th century, Harvard professor Charles Eliot Norton referred to the Great Seal as a dull emblem of the Masonic fraternity. This idea was furthered by occult philosopher Manly P. Hall in the early part of the 20th century. Hall not only believed that the Great Seal was Masonic, but that it was created through the collective consciousness of the occult societies and represented the secret destiny that they had in mind for America. I'd say that he saw the secret destiny of America as the beginning of a world democracy and that this was a kind of um, an experiment in democracy that had been envisioned for thousands of years before. So he saw this much like Francis Bacon envisioned what he called the New Atlantis. In 1926, Hall began publishing a newspaper called The All-Seeing Eye, dedicated to his occult views of philosophy. It was during Hall's era that the All-Seeing Eye of the Great Seal would be taken out of obscurity and placed on the back of the dollar bill by President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1935. This might all be seen as just a coincidence, if not for the fact that FDR seemed to be familiar with Hall's teachings on the occult. But even more important was the familiarity that President Franklin Roosevelt had with the arcane literature in Manley Hall's so-called Wisdom Library, a collection of occult books that Hall had gathered from all over the world. And Mr. Roosevelt himself, as you know, back in 1942, after the Pearl Harbor invasion, sent some of his people here to, to microfiche uh, the works of the, in this library because he looked upon it as a national treasure. He wanted to preserve it. And uh, I was surprised that when I first heard that just how much he seemed to know about such a treasure of wisdom that is contained here. Once again, the highly recommended Eye of the Phoenix, Secrets of the Dollar Bill, and that's really only the slightest hint of a taste of what you can find in that documentary. But as I say, there will be all sorts of information that 
unless you are a serious researcher into these issues, I'm sure you, like I, had never heard of before. So again, highly recommended. And let's just take a, a short listen to another short clip from that because I found it particularly interesting. This clip talking about the design of the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York, uh, one of the largest cathedrals in the world and one with some very interesting design pieces. The master building rooftop is undoubtedly interesting, especially since it overlooks the Cathedral Church of St. John the Divine, the largest cathedral in the world, where many of the occult concepts of America all seem to come together. What's interesting is that much of the cathedral was being built during FDR's administration. On the outside, there is a cross before what is called the Rose Window, an obvious symbol of Rosicrucianism. Inside the cathedral, we find praying saints alongside lurking demons. An image of what looks like a Zoroastrian Maitreya hangs upon a cross at the altar. Meanwhile, an upside-down cross is seen in one of the alcoves, serving as a monument to September 11th. Wow, just wow. An upside-down cross hanging in this Rosicrucian cathedral as a memorial to 9-11. Very bizarre and creepy stuff, but that's what you start to encounter when you start to research this information at a deeper level. And I'm sure there are many listeners out there who have done a lot of research along these lines, but uh, for those who haven't, I'm sure one of the people you will encounter when you start researching the symbolism of the occult-obsessed elite, you will very quickly encounter the work of Freeman Fly. He's at freemantv.com, and he's produced all sorts of videos, documentaries, and he has a radio show. He's been a guest on many various programs and has done some excellent research into this area and is probably best known for his research into corporate logos and their occult significance. And if anyone is interested in exploring that, I highly recommend using Freeman's work as a basis for your exploration because he goes into great detail about a number of corporate logos and how they are symbolic of well, of the occult powers behind the throne, so to speak, and just so many startling and very interesting things that unfortunately I can't really explain through audio, but once you see them, you will come to understand them. Everything from the Bank of America logo, which represents the footwork of the first three degrees of the Freemasonic order, to the Enron symbol and the oblong square, and the meaning of the oblong square symbol, and the swastikas that are encoded in various designs, the 66s, the Vs, the double Vs, the interlacing Vs of the VW logo, all sorts of things which, again, most people will see and have absolutely no idea that there is any occult significance to. But once you do know it, you can even start to decode some of these for yourself. Extremely, extremely interesting topics. So once again, I would highly recommend people check into Freeman's work on this subject, and I'll put a link into uh, for a documentary that he made uh, on this subject into the documentation section for today's episode. But right now, let's go to a clip from a conversation that I had the pleasure of conducting earlier this week with Freeman Fly of freemantv.com, where we talked about a wide range of subjects dealing with the symbols and sigils and various other signs that the elite, the occult-obsessed elite, deploy as a means of 
well, indicating that they are part of the gang, and perhaps also to wield their power over the unsuspecting public. So let's take a listen to a short excerpt from that conversation. And again, I would definitely recommend that people go and listen to the conversation in its entirety because it was very wide-ranging and covered a vast range of material. It's difficult to encapsulate in any short clip. But right now, let's listen to Freeman Fly of FreemanTV.com as I ask him about the Great Seal of the United States. It's my contention that probably the most pervasive in American society would be the Great Seal of the United States, which, of course, is on every $1 bill. And uh, I think everybody who, who sees that obviously knows that there is something going on, that the uncapped pyramid probably you know, has some sort of deeper esoteric meaning. And a lot of people have been introduced to that through Hollywood or other things. But um, I, I, the, the level on which that could be a sigil and performing some sort of magic in the, uh, the eyes of the people who, who put that there is uh, something that most people probably haven't considered. So can you tell us a little bit about that particular sigil? Yeah, very curious thing, that seal. Uh, now, first of all, when you start to look into Solomon's magic or some of the other grimoires, you will see these two type of seals side by side with a binding agent. And that's one thing that's very curious about the dollar bill and in that they actually take upon this type of magic with one in the middle, the Aten, the, uh, you know, this one true god that Akhenaten brought about and that's been carried out through time. Uh, when we look at the, the eagle and we look at these seals, we immediately see Freemasonry encoded again because one wing has 32 feathers, the other wing having 33. Um, this being that there are 32 degrees within the Scottish Rite Freemasonry and then the one above, which is only given, you cannot earn, which is the 33rd degree, which Bob Dole, uh, Arnold Palmer, uh, Richard Nixon, I, I, the list goes on and on of 33rds that we know of. The, you can see them all in my Corporate Logos film. Um, so when we start to take apart this symbol, there are numerous 13s. They're encoded masons. They're encoded with the Star of David. If you were to take the, the pyramid and actually draw the, 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 the second triangle pointing down from the Star of David, then the letters that these would hit upon were B Mason. Uh, it's been recently shown to me that if you take the, the numbers down at the bottom where it says 1776 in uh, Roman numerals, uh, now that could very well and most likely is dated to uh, the, the Illuminati, the founding of the Illuminati by Adam Weishaupt on May 1st, 1776. But if you actually take the ones that have a line going through it and you erase those and just keep the numbers that don't, then it actually comes out to be numerically 666 again. This is so curious about that 666. It's something I'm digging deep. And, of course, it's CERN's corporate logo as well. Uh, and I want to understand because I don't really believe in a strict Satan-Jesus paradigm. You know, That's too simple for me. That's just too easy to say, well, this is Satan and that's Jesus. No, there's a lot more going on here. Uh, Jesus was an order of Melchizedek. He was a member of a secret society, so you know it gets deep. Uh, when when you start to to decipher how this got to be an American symbol, where did it come from? Why is it on there? Why in 1933 did it appear on the dollar bill? We find that there's a, a, a mysterious character, Nicholas Rorick, who was the one who was seeking to put this out, and he was working through the. Uh, uh, Department of Agriculture, 
who became president, <laughs> and I lost his name in my head too now. Oh, uh, Woodrow uh, Wilson. Right, and there Sorry. was also um, uh, Wallace. 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 Uh, that's that's who I'm thinking of. Right, he became vice president. Yes. Uh, so through Wallace and and through Nicholas Rorick, uh, then we we got the pyramid on the dollar bill because everyone had seen the front seal, but no one had seen the reverse seal of that. Right, exactly. Explain that for people because that that's a bizarre and interesting concept as well. That there's the the front and then the obverse of the seal, and no one had seen the obverse. I mean, that's that's kind of a bizarre concept. Yeah. Well, once you realize that this nation was founded, crafted by a mystery school, by ones that hold secrets, you know, society with secrets, as a Freemason would say, then you start to understand that there's a whole lot more going on with the creation of America than just trying to free humanity. There was an agenda to bring about this new Atlantis, and so this is the goal of the Brotherhood, and America is simply a step along the way. And now we are being turned into the satanic force that the rest of the world is to rebel against. And so you can expect that because all of the symbolism that we see now with Barack Obama, his name meaning lightning from heaven, when you play Yes We Can backwards, it says, thank you, Satan. He rides around in the beast. He's, uh, you know, scorning every, every leader of every other nation out there. Plus, they're putting out the what most people consider the common American, which is this dumb, arrogant Lady Gaga listening to, uh, you know, person so that the rest of the world will hate us easily. And when we move to this next step, which will most likely be America's attack on Iran, uh, coupled with Israel, this is going to give everyone the impetus to hate and destroy America. So this American project of the Freemasons was scheduled for a long time to become something else. It was never scheduled to be this nation of freedom. They want a world controlled by a priestcraft that is the, the Freemasonic order. That's right. And, and again, people out there don't have to believe in this magic to know that there are people out there who do believe in this. And, and what does it mean that there are literally hundreds of millions of Americans walking around right now with their little symbol in their pocket on their $1 bills? What, what type of power do they think they get from this? Well, I think about the people running around with their Columbia sportswear swastika on there and, you know, uh, and all the numerous others like the pentagram and cube on your converse. I mean, we're covered in occult symbols. So they do say that these symbols have power. You know, Albert Pike himself said that uh, these sigils have power, especially the pentagram was one of his favorites that they would use. To answer that, that, that question is a difficult one, because honestly, I'm not so certain that the, the ones that we see, like the solar sign, the sun sign of, of Target, the, the pentagram of Walmart, the pentagram of Texaco, the shell, the, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, I, I'm still not convinced that these are put there for the magical intention of instilling a pattern into the people. Uh, now, there is such a, a thing and such a, a method of, of using magic in that means. But as far as the corporate logos, I'm still believing that they're simply signs of allegiance. But I do take it to another level trying to understand it because I had predicted 9-11 using my occult understanding. I had selected the date because it was used by HW the first time on 9-11-1990. Uh, 
announcing the new world order. When I when I saw this go, okay, so I I, I was witnessing the the idea of them bringing about this uh, homeland security department, and as I watched this, I knew that they needed a major terrorist attack in the middle of September to bring this about. But I selected the date of 9-11 because I knew that would be the day because of their ritual nature. And then eventually found out the meaning of the numbers 9-11 and their connection once again to Lucifer or the idea of sorcery. 9 and 11 skips 10, which is God. So therefore, you are taking the, the magician to a power of self-service, uh, skipping God, right? 11 being the number of this sorcerer or magician. Uh, so 9-11 actually had an encoded meaning that wasn't anything to do with the date. It actually has point and purpose. You can find Aleister Crowley talking about the numbers 9-11. You can find Isaac Bonowitz, the first academically accredited magician, discussing the numbers 9-11. And we're talking about back in the early 1900s and, in, and even the 1970s with Isaac Bonowitz. Or Kenneth Grant, who is one of the lead scholars on Aleister Crowley, also speaking out on the numbers 9-11. So this is a magical code that they were using, and this was a magical ritual that they used to slaughter 3,000 people. So on that level, that what I would consider a high-profile magical ritual. Uh, but the curious, uh, just to get to the dollar real fast, uh, the curious thing was that I had a list of a line of people at my door on 9/11 going, "How did you know? How did you know?" And honestly, I don't know. You know, I'm just looking at the puzzle, posting a hypothesis and coming up with what I think is going to happen and just happen to continually get it right. I had also said that they were going to force W into office because W is the letter of the beast. It's the letter of the fallen angels. It is the number 66 encoded in Hebrew because 6 is V in Hebrew. So W, when they forced the W, the, the dark one, into office, I said, this will be the year 9-11 happens because I was talking about 9-11 from 1998 on. So when it finally occurred and when the W was forced into office, as I predicted, I said, okay, that's, you know, this is the year it'll happen. And then uh, just another code, HW is emperor of the fallen angels for his father's name. So when they showed up at my door, there were already three people with their $20 bills folded to show the Twin Towers burning. And I thought to myself, now I'm a conspiracy theorist. I know about things like this. Uh, how do you know about this? You're just you know, the common man that doesn't look into these things. How do these people know this? And they said, oh, it was all over the web. And to me, that was a big clue. One, that perhaps the symbols and sigils don't need to be as obvious as we think they do. Perhaps our holographic mind could fold that bill into the origami necessary to create and see the Twin Towers burning. Because it's not just the 20. If you take the 5 to 100, you get the entire World Trade Center scenario. The Twin Towers, the Twin first getting hit, the two getting hit, the Twin Towers missing, and then a wisp of smoke on the 100. You know, it's all there. Even if you flip the 20 over, it's got the Pentagon burning with a hole in the side. This is, to me, the idea that the first ingredient of Freemasonry and of mystery schools is that you come of your own free will and accord. So for them to put this on the dollar bills, which was the year 1996, which was the year they built that Seal of Solomon out in front of the Bicentennial Mall, out in front of the Nashville Capitol, the same year 
that they did that the same year that Saddam Hussein was announcing that he was Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated and rebuilding Babylon. Uh, they put these twin towers burning on the dollar bills on the 10 through the 100 and then projected that to everyone, said, look what we did. And that's the moment that I realized that all of this requires our free will agreement. And so currently, if you take the Gulf oil spill, the, the agreement they're asking for is for us to agree that we all should die, that this is horrible thing that humanity is doing and that it's all our fault. We're supposed to take on all the guilt and accept that we should die. And when we accept that moment, that's the moment they can actually go through with the ritual and kill us all. The always fascinating, always thought-provoking Freeman Fly of FreemanTV.com. Now, once again, I'd like to stress that it really doesn't matter what religious beliefs you hold or do not hold, whether you are Christian, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, Zoroastrian, agnostic, atheist, whatever religion you adhere to or don't adhere to. The point is that there is an occult-obsessed elite who really are encoding 666s and inverted pentagrams and these types of symbols into everything they do, and that there is a reason for this. Once again, it comes down to, is there something happening behind the curtain? And every time we peek behind the curtain, there is something going on. And there is a meaning to the occult rituals practiced in Bohemian Grove and at Skull and Bones and the other places where the elite like to foster their power and nurture their young. So what is the ultimate meaning of what's going on here? And what's really behind it all? Well, obviously, those are subjects that are too vast to be tackled here, but we merely raise the specter that there is much, much more at work here than meets the eye, or sometimes, even when it does meet the eye, we are not prepared to understand it. So, as always, I leave you here to begin doing this research for yourself and coming to your own conclusions but it is definitely key to understand that symbolism is extremely important, and what you see is not necessarily what you are being shown. That's it for today. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me, and asking you to join me again next week for episode 138 of The Corbett Report, Geoengineering and You. Gives you the right.